I'm going to ask if the children want to come out to the front and come and sit on the mat that's there. Come and make yourselves comfortable. Okay, now this is the third one of these kind of children's talks that we've had, the third opportunity to, to look at something that's kind of very specific to them and to their age group and things. Um, and we're not always going to do stay on the same subject, um, but what we are going to do is carry on with the same theme that we've looked at the last couple of times. Anybody remember what we've talked about? So, Daniel? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> no, but Daniel's actually right. What we've been talking about is a subject really of science versus evolution. Because in school, children are taught that we evolved, that we started off as some little small cell in a pond somewhere, and that pond, that, that, that cell gradually grew and became something like an amoeba, and then that grew arms and legs and became fish and came onto land, and eventually that became all the creatures and the birds and the trees and everything that we see today. And that's what we're told in school is the reason we're here. And we're told that actually we didn't have a God that created us. It was all just a big accident. And the problem is, of course, that accidents and we don't have a God, then we're all free to do whatever we want. There's no accountability, there's no rules, and nobody can tell us there's any rules because actually we're all just parts of a big accident that, that happened some long time in distant past. So, And what we've been trying to show is that what the schools are teaching and, and what we read so much about on the, on the papers and the TV... So much of those things is nonsense. It's not science. It's non-science. Okay. And what is some easy examples just to show that you can use at school. And some of you have already used some of these things in your classrooms, haven't you? Some of you had conversations with some of your teachers. Um, so you can say, actually, you know, I don't believe that because. So what I want to do is a quick re- review of what we looked at so far. Now, in, in the first session we did, if you remember, we looked at that story. It's a very famous story by a man called Hans Christian Andersen. So it's all about these two individuals that turned up uh, and, and said to the king that they could make him some new clothes out of invisible thread. Do you remember the story? And they said, but only really clever people can actually see the thread, they can see the clothes. And so as they were making it, people came to look at it. And they didn't want to look stupid because they'd been told only clever people could see it. So they said, oh yeah, well, we can see it. And eventually the king goes out one day wearing these new clothes, which really were made of nothing. And one little boy just said, but the king's not wearing any clothes. And we said, that's just like the theory of evolution. Because we've been told, and you'll be told at school, that clever people, that scientists, believe this. And because they believe it, and they're supposed to be really clever, if you don't believe it, you must be silly. All right, So people go along with it because they don't want to look silly. And that's the way it is for most of the people in the academic world, in schools, universities, and everything else. So we looked at that story, and we draw that comparison. And then we looked at this thing. I gave Daniel, if you remember, I gave Daniel nothing. And I said, I want to see how long it takes for that nothing to become everything. Okay? And if you remember, you, you, you dropped the first one, and we couldn't find it. Could, could we? And we had to get a second one, because it's very difficult to find nothing. And then we got a second one, and then you looked after it, and you've had it ever since, haven't you? Have you had enough room at home to put it? How much room does nothing take up? None. That's absolutely right. Uh, and what has nothing become in, in what, so about six, no, about two months, isn't it, since we lost two or three months? It's, it's become nothing. Okay, so we've just got to keep waiting and seeing how long that will take to become something. Do we think it will ever become something? No. Why? Because it can't, because it's nothing. 
Okay, if it's nothing, it can't become something. And yet we're supposed to believe that the universe and the stars and everything that we see and us and here this morning and plants and, and everything else all started with nothing. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, you've got to surely start with something. But then we're told, ah, but if you give it lots of time, if you give it lots and lots of time, well then maybe nothing could become something. All right? And actually there's a lot of scientists and supposedly clever people that actually think, well, that's okay. Because if you put it so far away, we start talking about millions of years or billions of years, you think, I can't think that far back. I can't even remember the things I did last week. But, you know, as you get older, it's, it's harder to remember anything, isn't it? You know, but, but, you know, when we talk about billions of years ago, people think, well, I can't remember that far back. And if it happened that long ago, maybe it is true. And that's the problem, you see. We're told things and we have to accept them. Otherwise, people say, well, you're wrong. And you, you, what do you say to that? Well, just giving something lots of time. If you've got nothing, you can give it all the time in the world and it won't ever become something. The other thing we saw in the very first session was that things only reproduce after their kind. What would you get from a blackberry bush? Anybody? Blackberries are right. Why didn't you say apples? Apples can't grow on blackberries, can they? On blackberry bushes. And we all know this. And you can take anything in the world that you can think of. You can take any creature, you can take any plant, and it will only ever produce what it already is. It can't produce something other than itself. All right? And this was one of the things we looked at last time. Now, if you remember, it was a bit unfair because I gave Connie a puzzle. And I think it was a puzzle. I can't remember what the puzzle Do you remember what the puzzle was? It was a Peter Rabbit puzzle. And I asked you to make... Postman Pat, didn't I? I think. If I'm right. well, yeah, but you, and you said you couldn't, and why couldn't you? Because you didn't have enough pieces, did you? Because the pieces you had were for a Peter Rabbit puzzle, all right? Well, I thought what I'll do, I'll give this time, I'm going to get to do it. I've got a really nice princesses one, okay? Is this all right? And there's 200 pieces in this, all right? So now we've got lots and lots of pieces, okay? What I would do, if you start with that, but what I want you to do, I want you to make me a picture of Iron Man, just like on your top. Now, it's easy this time, because you've got 200... Connie only had nine pieces, so she couldn't do that. But you've got 200 pieces. So can you make Iron Man from that? Do you think? It is cruel, isn't it, really? <laughs> You're absolutely right. But why, why is that cruel? It's, all right, Daniel, unless you actually think you can do it, I wouldn't, you don't have to try. But the, the point is... That, that picture, that puzzle will never be able to produce something other than it is. Now, we might be able to put some of the different heads on some of the different princes in the picture. So we might be able to change the information we've got. And that's what we see in the real world with, with nature. And we call it natural selection. That happens. Things change. Things can adapt. But we can only work on the information that's already there. Any creature can only produce what it already is. So there's no way we're going to get a picture of Iron Man, as disappointing as that is, because I'm sure you'd prefer a picture of Iron Man than lots of princesses. Okay? But you're not going to get it because the information isn't there. And it's the same in the world. It's the same if you look at any creature. You can't take a monkey and make something other than a monkey because the information in the monkey is only there to produce the monkey. There's not information to produce other things. And this is one of the things that, that so often is not taught when schools start to talk about this. And then we concluded... That Darwin's book was wrong because Darwin's book says that things will produce other than they are. They'll produce something different. And yet the Bible says many, many times 
that things will only reproduce after their kind. So the Bible isn't a science textbook, but everything the Bible speaks about is right scientifically. Things only can produce after their kind. So you know that an apple tree will only produce apples, and a pear tree will only produce, and a banana tree will only produce... Okay, so we know that things can only reproduce after their kind, and a sheep will only produce sheep, okay. Oh, very good. Thank you. All right. So that's what we really looked at in the first session. Just a quick summary, just to help us remember what we've looked at so far. And we said these two books, Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, and then we've got the Bible. And actually, when we look at the information in both of them, Darwin was wrong. He thought he was right at the time, but there's lots of things that Darwin didn't know over 150 years ago. But the Bible's always been right. And the Bible says that things only produce after their kind. The Bible says there was a beginning And we now know there was a beginning, and people, scientists accept that. In the second session, we talked about something called the Great Debate. Now, this was a a conversation that took place between some clever people up in Oxford. Who went to the Oxford Conference? Anybody went to Oxford? Okay, so it was in that town, in in Oxford, on the 30th of June, 1860. Okay, now there's a few people here that might be able to remember that, but not many. Most of us are too young to remember that. All right, And some of you may have heard of this man, a very famous scientist, Sir Isaac Newton. And it was said of Isaac Newton, many prominent scientists uphold that the physical laws that Sir Isaac Newton uncovered revealed the mechanical perfection of the workings of the universe to be akin or to be like a watchmaker wherein the watchmaker is God. In other words, what he said was, if you look at a watch, a watch is quite complicated, isn't it? If you think about all the things that are inside the watch to make all the hands go round, and you've got normally on a watch you've got at least three hands, if you've got an old analog watch like I've got. Some of you have got iPhone watches or Apple watches or things like that, and you, they're even more complicated because they've got computers inside them. And the idea that that could just happen by chance, if we got lots of little bits of metal and a few springs and dropped them on the floor and left them a long time, do you think they could ever become a watch? Well, this is what Isaac Newton he said. Isaac Newton said, if you look at the universe, it's so complicated and there's so many laws and things that work together that it's a little bit like a, a watch that's so complex and it must have a designer. And he said the universe's designer has to be God. But <clears throat> that's just an example of a watch. If you look at, look at all the, the different parts we've got in a watch, so many different things. There's also different screws and balances and cogs and wheels and everything else. There was a, another man, a good man, a Christian man, uh, Bishop William Paley. And he started to try and defend the things that Isaac Newton had said. And he said that the watch, uh, with its gears and springs and other mechanisms, could never arise by actions of random chance. In other words, it couldn't just happen. It's what we've just said. It couldn't just come about. But some people said, well, William Paley's wrong. And this man, a man called David Hume, he was a Scottish man and a philosopher. He didn't like Christianity. Okay, he held, held notoriously ambiguous views. He didn't like Christians at all. All right. Um, and he said that living systems, so plants and animals and us and everything else that's alive, he said, only have the appearance of machines. And he said, unless you can prove they're machines, if you could go down to the smallest parts of us, unless you can prove that really we are like a machine, he said, that argument doesn't work. So he challenged these people like Isaac Newton and, um, William Paley and so on. And they said that you can't say that. Well, that, this led to this big debate, this argument that they had in Oxford. And there was this man, Bishop Samuel Wilberforce, he said this. He, he stood up and said, no, the Bible is right, and God has to be the designer. If we have a, a painting, what must we have? A painter. Yeah? 
Because if, if you've got a painting, what do you know? You might not have seen the painter, and people haven't seen God, but just because we haven't seen God doesn't mean... Pardon? Well, Linda has now, yes, because she's with God. That's very good. Okay. But for us now, we haven't seen God, have we? But that means that doesn't, we look at creation, we look at the world around us. And if we see a painting, we know there must be a painter. The painting couldn't happen on its own. If we see a building, what do we know there must be? A builder, somebody that built it. We don't come into this school this morning and think, oh, isn't that amazing? How did that happen? We know that people came and planned this and, and worked out and there was architects that designed it and builders that came and built it. We might not have seen them, but we know that they must be because we can see the building. So this is really the argument that uh, Bishop Wilberforce put forward and he said that God must be there because of all these things. But then this man was the other man that was in the argument. He was a friend of of Darwin's and he was challenging. He was saying, no, I think that Darwin's right. I think everything just happened by chance. So these two had this big argument on the 30th of June, 1860, a long time ago. Now, Charles Darwin had already said, he said, if it could be demonstrated, it could show that anything, any complex organ that existed, so you could think of anything, okay, so even, even like a, a, a cell in your body, maybe a skin cell, okay, something just like that, or some part of your, your teeth, or your heart, or your ears, or any part of your body, think of just a small little part. If that on its own could just happen by random chances, Darwin said this, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. But Darwin said, but I can't find an example of that. Well, there's lots of examples we can get. Do you know, have any of you ever seen a mouse trap? Ever seen a mouse trap? Okay, a mouse trap has got five parts. And you need all five parts for the mouse trap to work. Okay, this is really this, this, what this argument's about. If you take away one of those parts, how many mice, mice will you catch? Zero. You don't catch four-fifths as many mice, do you? You, don't, you, know, you can't catch any because you need every single part to work. And our bodies are the same. Okay, we've been made so complex that if you took away our lungs, we wouldn't do very well, would we? We wouldn't be able to breathe. Okay, if you took away our, our digestive system, so we need every part of us to function. And even a plant, these are artificial plants, but if you have real plants, even an artificial plant, even that couldn't happen on its own. It took somebody to design it and build it and make it. But take a real plant that is so complex and there's so many systems, there's, there's veins inside a real plant that carry the water from the, the ground up into the plant and they carry the energy from the sunlight from the leaves down into the roots. They're very complex. And you need all of that, otherwise it doesn't work. So the argument that Huxley was putting together just didn't work. And basically what he said was this. He said, if you had six monkeys on typewriters and you give them as much paper as they want, eventually they would be able to type out the entire works of Shakespeare. Anybody read anything of Shakespeare? Some of you maybe at school have read? Okay. So as you're older, you'll read some of the things by Shakespeare. He's a very, very famous writer. And they said that you could write out all of the things that Shakespeare wrote, just these monkeys, if you gave them enough paper, if you gave them enough time. You see, they use the argument again. Give it lots of time, and it must be possible. And people went, well, I suppose so. If it's had long enough, maybe it could happen. And so they said, Caesar, we've proven Darwin was right. Had they? No. Not at all. The problem they had, they didn't understand how complex things are, and the whole biological basis behind all of these things. 
We looked at that last time. This is just a, a simple cell. Any cell in your body, so be it your, your skin, your hair, or whatever part of your body you can think of. All right? And all of these parts are of a cell, and it's so complicated. And we said that a cell, one cell in your body, of which there are trillions, okay, are more complex than the most complex thing we've ever made. That's the most complex thing that mankind has ever made is a space shuttle. All right? There's so many components and so many parts in that, and they're all so, so important. But one cell in your body is more complicated than that is. Now, nobody would think that could happen by chance, and yet your school teachers have been told to tell you that actually you could come about by chance. That's not true. It couldn't happen. So, again, there was this great debate, and we've said already, it's impossible for things to change into something else. And we've seen that with the, the example with the puzzle. You can't make something other than it already is. Now, some of you at school have started to see this. I need your help here. Because this is just a quick picture of a search I did last night for Darwin's finches. Now, Darwin got on a boat. He went to an island called the Galapagos. And while he was there, he noticed some birds. And the birds had different beaks. And all of these are various things. And you can see pictures of the, the birds and the different types of beaks and things. And these are all educational things that teachers can download and they can use in their classes to teach their children and so on. All right? So that's just one of the, the pictures that we've got with different types of beaks. And it says, a lesson planned about Darwin and his finches. The aim of the task was for his students to come up with their own ideas of what is needed for evolution to occur. So this is what is t- being taught in schools, even now. Okay? Now, I want you to help me, because we're being told that this is proof that evolution took place. Um, let's start with, with, with James. James, what does that look like to you there? A beak of a, what animal? A bird. Okay. Esther, what would you say that is? A bird? You, are you sure? Yeah? Okay. Caitlin, what do you think that is? Do you think it looks like a bird? Does it look like a bird to you? Yeah? I think it does. Okay. Now, what do you think that is? Does that look like a bird? I think it looks like a bird. Marla, what do you think that one is? Bird? Okay, an eater? Bird. All right. Do you see the problem we've got? What do we start out with? Birds. What do we end up with? Birds. What did the birds change into? They didn't change into anything. And yet your schools are asking you, and they're giving you this, and they're saying, okay, so what, what is needed for evolution to occur? And they're saying that this is kind of proof that evolution happened, so, so you tell us how it could have happened. Well, we've got a big problem here because... This is a real example of what happens so often. Bad question alert. So often you ask bad questions. Now, if I said to Daniel this morning, and this is, this is hypothetical, I'm not suggesting this happens, all right? What if we said, Daniel, have you stopped winding your sister up? And I'm just, I, I know that doesn't happen, but just, just go with me on this, all right? Do you see what I've done? Because you're trapped now. Because if you say yes, what does it mean? it means that you were winding her up. If you say no, it means you still are. But either way, we've already concluded that you're winding your sister up. Just like, just like, you see what I'm saying? If I say, have you stopped doing it, then it means that we've already decided. And this is what schools do with evolution. They'll ask you questions, assuming evolution's true, and they give you no other option but to go down that route. So you've got to be very careful. Some of the questions you get asked are not good questions. And these kind of things, what's needed for evolution to occur? Well, hang on, that's the wrong question. The question is, can evolution occur? The answer is no, it can't. It can't happen at all. So think about the questions that you're being asked. Okay. 
Very quickly, I want to just take you through, because the other thing, when we talk about evolution, we need to understand that we use one term, but it can mean lots of different things. So it could be the evolution of time and space and matter, okay, everything that exists in that sense. Um, and people talk about the Big Bang Theory. Or it could be chemical evolution. So we've done some chemicals. Now, Connie, I think you did an experiment this week, didn't you, at school? Didn't you do an experiment? You were putting some stuff into a pot and... Yeah. So you're already doing experiments. You're working with different chemicals. And as you grow in school, you'll do more and more things. But where did all the chemicals come from? All the different types. There's, there's at least 92 chemicals plus the synthetic ones that we've got. And then we've got the question, okay, well, even if we had stuff, matter, and we've got space and we've got time, and if we had all the chemicals and things, well, how do we get to planets and stars? Well, no, no, how do you get to them? How do you travel? Thank you. How, how would you make them? It's not easy. And scientists haven't got the answer to these questions. And then there's the question, of course, where did life itself come from? Even if you get all that stuff, how did you get to life? And then there's what we call so macroevolution, or the idea that one thing could change into something else, which you've already mentioned this morning can't happen. And there's the last one, which is microevolution, which is variation within kinds. You know, the first lot are all just a belief. That bottom one is actually science, and that's what the Bible talks about. Variation within its kinds. Everything will reproduce after its kind. It's what Darwin saw with those beaks. Okay, you can get different beaks, but it's still birds. Sometimes people will talk about this, and this is what they did with the beaks, and talk about microevolution, and they'll say, well, that proves all of it. No, it doesn't. All it does is prove the bottom one, and that's exactly what the Bible says happened. Things vary. Things will change within their kinds, but they can't become something other than they are. What I want to do very quickly is just have a little think about this one here. Planets and stars. Now, we're not talking about all of them because there's so many. There's trillions. I think it's been estimated that there's enough planets and enough stars, enough stars in the universe for you all to own about a trillion each. Okay? I'm not sure what you do with them, but there's so many of them. Now, there are planets that we know in our own solar system. Okay? We've got the sun. Okay, most of you have seen the sun. Anybody seen the sun? We haven't seen it for a few weeks, have we? It's kind of gone away. You probably won't see it now until about June next year. Um, but it is still there. Um, and then we've got Mercury, which is quite close to the sun. It's not actually as close as it looks in this picture. This is just, just for the yeah, picture. Uh, and there's Venus and then Earth. Okay, that's the one that we live on. And then there's a slightly smaller one there called Mars. And then, Connie, you just quite rightly said Jupiter. And, yeah, Saturn, uh, Uranus, and Neptune, and Pluto. Okay, there, there is. I, they, they think there was once another planet that kind of sat around here somewhere uh, called Astra. The Greeks talked about it. They wrote about it and, it, and it exploded, and it became what is now the asteroid belt. And there's a very interesting study. But anyway, they're the planets and the stars we've got in our in our own solar system. How did they happen? Well, truthfully. Most scientists still don't know how they happen, but they've got an idea, and they'll tell you this, and you might find this in school, which is why I'm going to tell you now. What else, can you see, you see a picture of our sun there, okay? You see this little bit coming off here? They call that like a filament. A bit just kind of burst off the side of the sun, a little bit of an explosion. Now, actually, the gravity of the sun pulls it back in again as it happens, but that aside, do you know the sun is losing 4 billion kilograms of mass every second? What does that mean? Okay. Well, to me, there's no point worrying about it for a start because you can't do anything about it, and it's not really enough because the sun is so big that losing that much doesn't really cause us a, a big problem. But it does tell us that the sun hasn't always been there; it must have had a beginning, which is exactly what the Bible said. Now, 
I'm not going to read all this, but I'm just going to tell you, there was a man called Immanuel Kant back in 1755. That's a long time ago. I don't think anybody's old enough to remember that. Um, but he said that some four billion years ago that the sun ejected its tail of filament and it cooled and became the planets. So he's saying all the planets we've got, so all the ones we just looked at, so uh, Earth and Mars and, and Saturn and Jupiter, they all came off the sun. That's what they say. All right. Now, he got his ideas from this man, Emanuel Swedenborg. Now, I'm not going to read it all, but this man, Swedenborg, apparently had seances with the men that were on uh, Jupiter and Saturn and other places. I'm not aware that there's men on any of those places. Sounds a bit strange. Okay. So he was doing things that the Bible says you shouldn't do for seances and things like that are not good. Okay, and the Bible speaks about those things. But that's where he reckons he got his information from. And anyway, that got picked up and it became a theory. And then other people looked at that and leave that on the, the things that will go up online. So if any of the adults want to look at it later, they can. Um, but the idea came about and they call it the nebula hypothesis. The idea that all the planets in our solar system came from the sun. And we're going to do an experiment in a minute. Okay, I'm going to show you that this isn't true. Right, the sun contains 99.86 of all the mass in our solar system, and yet it only contains 1.9% of the angular momentum. Does any of you know what angular momentum means? You will in a minute. If you have a figure, Satan, she was spinning around, we're going to try an experiment with a meter. Meter's got a roller skates on, she got for her birthday last week. If we were to spin around and her arms were close by her side, she'd go really fast. As she puts her arms and legs out, she'd slow down. Okay, That's part of the idea. And we can look at the speed that the planets spin and everything else, the speed that the sun's spinning. So we know that we've got a lot of basis, a lot of evidence to prove what we know. But these ideas that we've got, and I'm going to leave all this here for the adults who want to look at it. Um, but they said all the planets, everything came from the sun. Now we've got a real problem. This is what we're going to try in a minute. And I need you to help me with a meter. We're going to try spinning around and around, and we're going to see what happens. She's on roller skates. So we haven't got enough room in here to get a big, um, um, what do they call those things? Roundabout, thank you. Very good. Um, so we're going to try this. Now, if you were spinning that round, okay, to start with, that would be fun. And Amita's going to enjoy this to start with, because it will be a lot of fun for her. Okay, and she'll probably be laughing. But then it gets a little bit faster, and maybe it's not quite as much fun. Have you ever been on a ride at a fairground, and it's really fun to start with, and then it gets a bit faster? Yeah. We we did this. We went to Portland's Park uh, a year or two ago, and we, we got Mummy Joy to go on a, a ride, and we said it's not very fast. <laughs> yes, it was that one. <laughs> yeah. It was so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cruel daddy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but it gets... It gets to the point that you don't enjoy it as much, okay? And then it gets to the point that you go, so far, you're almost about to fall off. This is what we're going to try with the meter in a minute, okay? We're going to try this. All right? Now, the problem is, and this is what we know from science, and this is what we're going to try and experiment. If you're spinning around and around and around, anything that will come off will only spin in the direction that the original thing was spinning in. Does that make sense? Okay, so these can only spin that way, they couldn't spin the other way. Okay, it's just a law of science, okay, and we can try and we'll experiment in a minute. Now, the strange thing is, when we look at our solar system, Venus, Uranus, and Pluto, as far as we know, all go the other way. What does that tell you? They couldn't have come off the sun, because the sun's going one way round, spinning, and these planets are going the other way round. We know that at least six of the 63 moons also rotate back to, uh, backwards. Jupiter... Saturn and Neptune have moons that go in both directions. So, 
straight away, without any real understanding or knowledge of this, we can say, actually, this theory that everything came from the sun, for us, doesn't work. Even what they call spiral galaxies, they're spinning and they're twisting, they all, they, they couldn't have come from one source, and like they say, because some of them go in different directions. And actually, they're really good evidence that there's a young earth for different reasons. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Genesis 1.16, after God had made the earth, it just says this, he made the stars also. That's what it says. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Let's try our experiment. Me too. If you want to stand up, please. Try and hold on to this. Okay. Yeah, Marlon, you can hold the mic. Alright, you can sit down. If we got you spinning fast enough though, and if we let you go, you'd only go in the same direction you were spinning. Alright, and this is one of the reasons we know for sure that what scientists or schools and education systems are trying to tell us about where our stars came from, it can't be true. But the Bible says, very simply, it only gives us five words about all the planets, all the trillions of planets out there. God gives us just five words. And it said, he made the stars also. Why do you think, with all these stars, and God only says five words about them? Why do you think that might be? Well, you know, as wonderful as the stars are, and as incredible, there's something more important. And God created all of this. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with every one of you and every one of the grown-ups. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So as incredible and as wonderful as the stars are, the Bible only gives us five words about where they all came from. And it's just that he made the stars also. God, God did that as well. He created this world. He made it incredible. He made all the plants and the creatures and the animals. But you know, the stars are great. But there's something even more amazing, and that is that God sent his son Jesus to live for us, to die for us, and to rise from the dead so that we can have an eternity with him. And it's so, as Connie said earlier, absolutely right, so like it is with Linda, Linda now we know is with Jesus in heaven. Okay, this world is not what we see just here and now, there's so much more. So I just want you to be aware of these things. At school, they're going to carry on telling you about this stuff. They're going to, you're going to see about Darwin's finches and you'll see all sorts of other stuff. But that doesn't prove evolution. All it does is show you that things can change within their kind. It's like that puzzle with the princesses. As I said, you might be able to get a different head on the princesses in the puzzle, but you'll never be able to make Iron Man out of that. Okay, Evolution doesn't work. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 10... It says that we should be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And evolution is one of those things that the devil uses 
to stop people believing in God. Because if they think that we are just here because of evolution, they don't need, they don't need to believe in God. But what we need to do as Christians is explain to people, do you know what? Evolution can't happen. It's not possible. It doesn't work for so many reasons. And actually, that leads to the question, okay, if we're not here because of evolution, how are we here? Well, the only answer is that in the beginning, what's the verse? God created the heavens and the earth. That's right. It's the very first verse of the Bible, and it tells us one of the most one of the most important things that there is a God, and in the beginning He created everything, and He did it so that He could know each one of us and have a relationship with us. Right, that's it for this morning. Hope you got something out of that, adults or children. Just want to emphasize again that God, as, as incredible as the heavens and the stars, all those things are, God's love for us is so great that Jesus was sent so that we could know him. And that is more wonderful, more incredible than all the planets and all the stars and all the things that we could look at in space.